0: Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Um, I really apologize for this weekend. No episode Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. I'm really sorry. This was one of the busiest weekends. I just had really no time to... At all to do anything. I had a little frame. So the Bruins segment, I'm going to start off in this episode. We're going to talk about the Bruins game four win over the Hurricanes. We're going to talk about the Red Sox past four games. And we're going to uh, go over the PGA Championship. It wrapped up Brooks Kepko's the So when are we going to talk about that? But I had no time, but I found a little time, like 12, 15 minutes on Saturday to pre-record this Bruins segment. And I'll talk about the Red Sox 3-1 to win over the Astros, and we are going to talk about that game, but I'm not going to specifically go like 2-2 in detail, because we're going to talk about all four games. So, sorry, I recorded that for a Saturday, I just had a little bit of time to do that, but... That's pre-recorded. Everything else I'm recording right now, currently on Monday. But yeah, sorry for no episode for three days straight. That like never happens. But I was really busy. Nothing I could do about it. But we're here now, so that's all that matters. Nothing we, uh, babbling about that. But first, we'll start with the Bruins' game four win over the Hurricanes. So let's get to that. All right. So if you haven't heard already, uh, back Thursday, the Bruins beat the Carolina Hurricanes four to nothing not only in the game, but also in the series. They got the sweep over the Carolina Hurricanes. That series, I, I said it, it was it was good to see them dominate, but it, it just wasn't too entertaining. I like the first two series personally a little more. Like we played great no, but it just wasn't it wasn't as entertaining you know i, I like the like the blue jackets the maple leafs is more entertaining series you know the carolina hurricanes are just a small market team they have the lowest payroll in the nhl they're just kind of you know i don't want to call them a joke cuz they made it to the eastern conference finals but they kind of are in a way sort of but that first period was um a, a little uh not not scary but maclehoney was incredible i thought maclehoney if you look at the stats, he allowed three goals on only 22 shots, but he was really good. That defense was not good. They, Bruins were moving the puck amazing in the hurricane zone zone. And McElhenny was really – he was kind of a brick wall. Like, let me tell you, that was the best game, one of the best games I've ever seen by a goalie who, who only had – 19 saves and 22 shots. Let's just say for a goalie that only saves 864% of his shots. usually the average is like 920. For that low of a save percentage, that's a pretty good quality start. The defense was good. The defense was good at keeping the puck out of their own zone. There was a lot of neutral zone action. They were good at, you know, not letting, giving Maclean a lot of shots. But when there was a shot, McElhenney had to make some really good saves. Like, either you didn't allow a shot or you allowed a shot that was a very good opportunity for the Bruins. And McIlhenny was not bad in that game. Uh, you really had to watch. And, you know, Char- Rask was amazing. Only faced 24 shots. That game for the Bruins had nothing to do with depth. It was Rask played incredible. Your defense was good and your first line was good. That was it. Your first line had all the goals. Bergeron had two Posternock had one, Marchand had one. That was it, Marchand had the empty netter. Uh, Pasternak had that first goal, it was way too hard of a pass for Marchand. McElhinney bought that Marchand was going to uh, shoot the puck, but then he passed, it was really, it was just a too hard of a pass uh, to Posternock. Posternock kept the firm grip, tipped it into the net. It was a good goal because that was just too hard of a pass for Marchand, but good idea. And then Bergeron had your next two goals, uh, and then he had the Martian goal, but again, good defense. First line was on fire, and Rask had a very good game. But the Bruins now—what did you think about the series? I guess is what I'm trying to say: did you did you enjoy it, or did, obviously you enjoyed it? But you know, would you have liked a little bit of a harder opponent? Uh, let's just say. But your possible opponents, either the Blues or the Sharks, and that series is tied at two to two. Now, I know I said it last episode, but if you haven't heard, I'll give you the quick lowdown. You either... Here's what you want. If you want to face the Blues, you're going to get a much better chance at the Cup as you're going to face an easier team, but it could be a Blues-type, uh, Hurricane type of series. The Blues are a red-hot team, don't get me wrong. They were in last place in January, but here's the thing. If you want to face the Blues, they're going to be an easier opponent than the Sharks, and you're going to hear all the Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr, Bobby Orr. That play is so overrated. You were going to sweep that Blues team, and they were an expansion team anyway. Who cares? That play was – it's it's great play by Bobby Orr. I love Bobby Orr, but it was it's overrated. Sorry. It's, it was just – I believe it was overrated, um – I just don't want to hear that again. Uh, The Bobby or Bobby or I don't want to face the Blues and have to hear that. And if you face the Sharks, sorry, I lost my voice a little bit, but if you face the Sharks, they're going to get a much more entertaining, hard-fought, longer series. That Sharks team is just fun, well-respected. They have a ton of good, fun players, and they know how to play hockey. And I'm not saying the Blues don't. Don't get me wrong, the Blues are not that bad because they've been red hot ever since... February, January, and they're pretty fun, but they're not as fun as the Sharks. That series will be more competitive against the Sharks. If you want to face the Sharks, though, the price of that is there's much less chance you win the Cup. I give you, you know, much higher chance if you face the Blues than the Sharks, which I want to win a Cup, but I I want to face the Sharks in, in a way, like... I want to face the Blues because I want to win, but I don't want to hear about Bobby Orr, and I don't want this Hurricane Series 2.0 in the Stanley Cup Finals. No thank you. I'll take the Sharks. I'll take the interesting opponent that will give me a good series, a hard-fought series that we'll have to earn. Because I think we can not earn it. I really do think we can do this. And then you got the whole Joe Thornton thing. Mm, It's going to be good. I want the Sharks to win. I want the Sharks to win. Now, when it comes down to it, I like the Sharks and the Blues. Like, overall, like, I don't usually rank other teams. Like, I have, like, second-favorite teams. I don't know why the Penguins are. Like, I don't – I shouldn't like the Penguins. I just don't know why. I don't even know if I have a second-favorite team. But overall, if you ask me some teams – overall, I like the Blues and the Sharks. Both of them. I just like them. But the Sharks would give you a much more entertaining series. It's just your odds for the Cup are worse. I'd rather face the Sharks and see the good series – Like, you give me, like, a, a, you know, the Maple Leaf series over, like, just a good six. That's going to be a six, seven game series. You face the Blues, five, max, six. Like, I just can't see you losing or that series going to seven games. I just can't. So, again, my predictions were mostly off this year for the NHL playoffs. If you haven't heard it, it was a while ago, but I made my predictions. If you want to go listen to that, it was a while ago. I'm not I don't know where they are now. I, I made them and they're they're way off. They're wild. Um hopefully I do a better job next year and don't always pick the favorites. I don't know why I did the same thing in the NCAA bracket, pick Duke. I just didn't know. I just didn't you know, how could you see that team losing? But anyway, I personally wasn't I've been impressed with this Bruins team. They've been able to face adversity and you know, when they get knocked down, they'll get knocked down once and come back up right back up and punch you right in the face. Let's just say this. They take a punch in the face, they get right back up and try to punch you right back. It doesn't matter if you hit them five times, they're going to get up six. It's just, it's incredible what this team has done. They face so much adversity and have been able to get up from all of it. The McAvoy suspension, that stupid goal against Columbus. You had the, um, what else was it? There's just a lot of stuff. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I just can't remember all of it. It's just... I can't remember the Maple Leaf series. That feels like it was five years ago. The Blue Jackets series. You know like in the NHL playoffs when the series feel like a year ago? They do. They really do. Like, that Celtics Pacers series feels like a year ago as well. The Bucks kind of feels like a while ago as well, too. I, that's just how the playoffs go in most, you know, sports. Is it feels like it was a year ago. The last round that was like two, like a week ago feels like a year ago. It's crazy. But that's just kind of how it works. So, yeah, that's a little rundown on the Bruins game four win. They're kind of a whole series. It was a cakewalk. I'm sorry that the Hurricanes team just did not come to compete. Maybe they should have put McElhaney a little sooner and we might have a game five um, because maybe they steal one of those first two games. But I don't know. Uh, It didn't happen. So, good series for the Bruins. Uh, Again, I'd say overall, you know, the Blues, better chance for the Cup, but I want to face the Sharks. It'll be a better series. What do you guys think, Colin, on the Anchor Mobile app? Uh, would you rather face the Sharks or the Blues uh, just overall uh, as a fan of the game and a fan of the Bruins? And also, Colin, on any uh, questions you have for me, anything you want to say, uh, please. Hopefully Billy calls back in, And all of you. I say this every time, but, again, I'm really hoping someone just anchor mobile app, type in after the other sports talk, send in a voice message. It's really easy. I know some of you can't get it, and that's totally fine if you can't get it. But if you can, it's a cool tool. I, I, uh, I think you should uh, try it out. Um, it, it'll be cool. I t- just, just just trust me on that. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to get to the uh, – sorry. I just really lost my voice. <clears throat> Okay, so now we're going to get to the Red Sox 3-1 to loss over the Houston Astros last night, so let's get to that. All right, so obviously, as I said before the episode started, that was pre-recorded Saturday, so we're not just going to talk about that 3-1 to Red Sox loss over uh, against the Astros, but we're going to talk about their last four games. Basically, their series against the Astros, and then the Blue Jays game, where they got that big win over the Blue Jays today. But first in that, Astros versus Red Sox game on Friday where you lost 3-1. to one. There were some more what I want to say missed opportunities. Uh, and what I'm trying to say here is you had, uh, you know, a good three opportunities in that game to take charge. I remember, you know, you're up with one out or two outs. You got, you know, you got like a man on first and second or first and third or even second and third, and you'd always blow it. You continuously blew it in that game. I think that was my big takeaway. Uh, Christian Vasquez kind of got his back going a little in that game. Three hits on four at-bats with an RBI. He was good. But you started off that series. It wasn't a bad game in baseball at all. That was one of those games where you're facing a good team. You didn't play that bad either. They just played a little better than you. And I didn't have a huge problem with that loss because you're facing a hot, hot Astros team. And, I just said you just win one of the next two after that, okay? You had to win one of the next two, get some momentum a little bit, and just a little self confidence for the fans even. But they were just missed opportunities, especially you know who's really starting to get under my nerves, especially after that game. Eduardo Nunez, the DH. Who DH is Eduardo Nunez? Who 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 does that? Sorry for the stumble there, but. My god, who DH is Eduardo Nunez? I remember when we traded for Nunez, I was a huge fan of the trade because he's been he was doing great. This season my man's averaging 173 batting average. A 173 batting average scoring five runs. And let me tell you like he's had some good season before like I I overrated him a little in the past but he's still very good under a piece this year no I don't want to see much of Eduardo Nunez. The guy has just really struggled at the plate and to see him DHing, who DH is a guy that is hitting 174? The the bats clearly not there, and I'm okay with them playing every once in a while, but he shouldn't be DHing, especially against a team like the Astros. I don't want to see much of Nunez. And he even cost you one of those. And when he the seventh inning, he was up with two outs and he hit like a little dribbler to second base. I was like, you're kidding. I knew he was gonna get out. I called it when he was up to bat. I was like, this is this is asking for an out. That was kinda the the big takeaway. Like they strike a lot late game and are a clutch team to watch and fun team, but man, a lot of times I've seen this season. You know, one out, two outs, big position, the batter just kinda chokes. And a lot of times they clutch up, but I've seen this team in that position a lot and I, I, they're good in that position, but there are just sometimes where they go dead cold, and that was that game. They just could not strike. And then you had the seven to three loss over the Astros on uh, against the Astros on Saturday. A Hector Velasquez start. The guy started the game, pitched one third of an inning, got one out, let up three hits, two walks, five earned runs. was pulled out of the game. Colton Brewer came in, two in two thirds of an inning, pitched. Uh, let up three hits and a walk, one earned run. So it wasn't bad. Kinda came in and got you through the rest of that with a little damage done. But yeah, you know, I'm ha- I'm happy that Colton Brewer was, a- was able to do that. And then Ryan Weber. Yeah, we-, we really cared about this game. We really did. We picked we picked Velasquez, Colton Brewer. And now Ryan Weber. Weber. I don't even he's one B. Who who does Weber with one B? Three innings, four hits, one run on a walk. And then he had Tyler Thornburg. Please, oh, I, I just don't like him. We traded Travis Shaw for him. And let me tell you, Shaw struggled this year, but Tyler Thornburg at the time, the guy was hurt. And now, all of a sudden, he is currently 30 years old, and he's pitching uh, ERA of 7.13. He's pitched 17.2 innings. Why is well, Why? Why him? What strikes you about Tyler Thornburg, the 7.13 ERA, the injuries? Like, what struck you about that at the time to send Travis Shaw to Milwaukee for Tyler Thornburg? I hated trade, because Shaw was not a bad player. And I know you kind of had to get rid of him. But for Tyler Thornburg, that's the best you could find? An injured bullpen uh, pitcher that has an ERA of 7? Oh, please. I uh, just uh, I hate him. I really do. And, you know, I don't hate him as a person. But just, And then we had Josh Smith come in because we really cared about this game. Those are the five pitchers we pitched. I guess at the time Hector Velasquez pitched that, you know, Alex Cora just said, you know what, whatever. He pressed the panic button. You know, he, he blew – he took the TNT, lit it, blew the whole thing up, and, you know – Colton Brewer, Ryan Weaver. I'm going to call him Weaver. I don't even care. It's W-E-B-E-R. Yeah. Tyler Thornburg. That's when you know it's over. That's when you know when you're pitching Tyler Thornburg in the seventh inning. And the eighth. Two hits, two walks. Didn't let up any runs, but Tyler Thornburg. I hate that guy. I know he's going to pitch sometimes, but... mm. And then, thank God, for Sunday. Sunday was a game where it was kind of a must-win. I don't want to say must-win because it's May. It's May. There, there shouldn't be must-win games in May, but it was for the Red Sox, and you won three to four. I was happy about that. Uh, Chavis, really, that guy. Something else. Uh, he, he's just been like he to me. Chavis like just came up and. Who expected this from him? That guy is just a power hitter, can pull the ball really well. But came into that game, it was the oh sorry. Um it was the Chris Sale start, and all of a sudden he came in, strikes out the first two batters. And when I saw that, I was like, oh yeah. Oh, Chris Sale. He and the thing is in that game though, uh, 10 strikeouts overall, but the main problem Chris Sale was his command. Walking five batters. And the command was a problem. I was happy with the, that outing. I wasn't actually... I was solid with that outing. He's your ace. So you have to keep in mind... This is Chris Sale. We're not talking about Hector Velasquez. Five in a third inning. Keep in mind, a big game. Five in third inning. Four hits, three earned runs, five strike... Uh, five walks, and ten strikeouts. Eh, it's not great. Not bad either. Especially against that Astros team. Um... Was able. I think he got a little lucky as well with George Springer. Springer has been one of the best players in baseball this year, uh, maybe the best in the AL. Hitting three thirteen this year. I mean, he's already batted in forty two RBIs. That's crazy. Forty two RBIs and fifty seven hits. And what are we? Forty something games into the year. We're forty five around that that mark. A little over forty five games, almost fifty games. So we're sitting here saying not even one-third into the year, and George Springer's already hit. He That guy's on pace for about 150 RBIs. I think he'll cool down a little bit. You're lucky. First three at-bats, he strikes out, and you can just tell something's off is a swing. He's holding something. He got hurt, and um, Josh Reddick came in uh, for him. You got a little, a little lucky there that George Springer was a little banged up, and you also got uh, a little lucky with um, – what was it? No, not, not, never mind. The George Springer part was a little lucky, but what I was saying, Chris Sale, you didn't get lucky with that. The command just wasn't there, but the strikeouts were, I don't know why I said you got lucky with something else. Although I think you did a little in ways in, that, in parts of that game. Um, Sorry. Jeez. <clears throat> sorry. Whew, I hate when that happens. But anyway, you got a little lucky with that because uh, he's probably been the best player on that Astros team this season. I don't know why he said you got lucky with something else. Overall, though, Eduardo Nunez DH'd again that game. And I was probably really got on my nerves because he three at bats, no hits. Three at bats, no hits for Eduardo Nunez. But overall, you got the win. You got the win. Chris Sale, you got a Chris Sale win. And I was pleased with that game. And you know it happens like George Springer. I can't say you won because George Springer. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying throwing that out there that their best player was 0 for 3 with three strikeouts, and then had to come out of the game because he was hurt when he was batting, and then he left the game. So I'm just saying. But anyway, moving on. Then today's dominating win over the Toronto Blue Jays, who moved now to 19 28. You were 25 and 22. You won 12 to 2 in Toronto. Um, David Price came in. On a mound, he's very comfortable in Toronto. Very good in Toronto, but that first two innings really scared me because the first inning, David Price, uh, you know, he's walking guys. And, you know, he walked. No, he didn't walk a guy. What was it again? No, <sighs> so he let up the hit. Yeah, he let up the hit. They, you know, it was a deep fly out. Then all of a sudden, they they had that good first inning where they got they collected about two hits. And one of those outs was, you know, almost to the warning track. And they were really hitting them pretty well in that first inning. Second inning, then they crack open with two runs. So it's a good first two innings for that Blue Jays team hitting-wise. And from then, I was like, ooh, so this might not go so well. You had, um, Mailey is his name. I forget his name. May- yeah, it is. Luke Maylee, who's their catcher, hits last, but he still had the home run second of the year for him. Um, I think they only had one hit in that first inning. But anyway, after that, David Price was uh, awesome. After those first two innings, he settled down. He was putting the ball in great spots, four strikeouts, only on those three hits early. And from the next three innings, he was great. Only got to pitch five innings. But that's the thing. Core likes to keep those innings pitched for the starters low, which is why you need a bullpen because the team really doesn't have a great bullpen. Today they did, though. The bullpen only allowed one base runner. He's Henry allowed a walk. That was it. Your bullpen came in with the lights out today. But let me tell you it's one of the laziest games of baseball I've ever seen. The Blue Jays came in with 34 hours, which isn't horrible, but that was just a lazy game of baseball by the uh, Blue Jays. And when I saw them, I was like, oh, it makes sense, because you know when you have a, such a young team that's competing for nothing, it makes sense that they be a little sloppy, right? I mean, you had that play at second base. It was both sides, kind of. Mostly the Blue Jays, though. I saw their uh, right field. Randall Gritchup, however you say it. The right fielder. I remember he made the play early. He had a lot of action in that first inning. But, you know, there's, there's a play where it's a, it gets hit on a hop to him. And it's an easy play. And then he comes out of his glove. Goes to pick it up, misses it, picks it up again, double clutches, and then finally throws. And it was just so, it was just a lazy play. Like, you know, when you're kind of in the field, you know, just at practice, and you're like, you know, the ball comes, and you kind of like flail your arm out at it with the glove. You kind of just flail out and try to like uh, pick it. That's what it looked like almost that was kind of what he did there. He just kind of like flailed at it, tried to pick it a little, missed it. Oh, whoops. Tried to pick it up with his arm. Oh, it must be soap on his hand. It just slipped right out again. Finally gets it up. Oh, nope. You know, the coach in, in sometimes in the little league, they'll yell, You get the ball and get the ball, and the guy double clutches. Oh, no, Moreland scores. Eh, whatever. Whatever. We're the Toronto Blue Jays. We're 19 28. We have nothing to play for. We're a young team. Who cares? I feel like that's kind of the, the mindset there. Then their second baseman. Uh, Yurina, I look, I don't know how to say some of these names. Some of these names are ridiculous. You know, instead of diving out for it, maybe putting a better effort. Oh, it went by me. Whoops. He just kind of cut off. There's a guy behind him. I forget who it was, honestly, at this point. But there's a guy trying to make the play behind him. Yurina kind of comes in, like, makes the. No, I'm not going to make that play. You can take it all of a sudden. He doesn't really expect it. It's a weird play to describe. Just never really happens. And then, you know, there's laziness on your part. Like I saw Sandy Leone's on first after his hit into uh, sh- between shortstop and third base. Um, it's a- Betts hits it to shortstop, given Leone just kind of jogs over to second. The ball is coming in. He's basically all of a sudden, I see him. And this play didn't frustrate me too much because I get it. Leon's slow, and he was a goner at that point. But he just put no hustle. He kind of jogged over to second base, or at least it looked like a jog. And then, you know, it's, it, the ball's coming to second base. He's basically walking to second at that point. Like, he slowed down his jog. It was basically walking. I was like, what are you doing? If it just frustrated me a little. I just felt like it was a lazy baseball. I just wanted you to watch the highlights. All you have to watch is maybe the first – four innings and you'll find like the Leon playing the fourth inning in the first two innings. So that feeling about Blue Jays, you see what I mean? Just they're a little sloppy, just a little lazy for of a team. I don't know. Some things I wanted to point out, but yeah, that's kind of going over the Red Sox past four games, kind of in a nutshell there a little for you. Uh, sorry. I know. I think I said it in the Bruins segment a while ago, but I'm just kind of losing my voice a little bit. I've lost it since like Saturday and it's, It still just hasn't really come back. I don't know why. I hope because, you know, as a podcaster, I kind of need that voice. So it's enough to talk, but I just kind of lost it a little. So excuse me for that. Uh, But, yeah, now we're going to go over the uh, Brooks Koepka's win in the PGA Championship, kind of go over that whole thing. It's a tough week for many golfers, but we'll get to all of that coming up now. Alright, so ha- if you haven't heard yet, Brooks Kepka won the PGA Championship yesterday, making him a back-to-back PGA Champion. Uh, that guy is just so good in majors, mostly because he can just hit the ball so far. But another thing, so I heard Brooks Kepka say this in an interview, so he said, People said because he said himself, majors are easier to win than normal events, which is actually crazy. Most golf fans know that's crazy. Majors only come up four times a year. They're the hardest events to win. But for Brooks Kepka, they're the easiest, and here's why. He said there's about a, there's 156 golfers in the field, right? So you take the 156, and you you assume you can beat around 80 of them. So that leaves you around 76 golfers, right? And you assume half of them aren't going to play well. So that brings you down to 35. And, you know, 35. Then, this is where it gets tricky. He says 35. And I remember he also said something in a different podcast where, he didn't say it in a specific interview, but where, some of the guys will play well, but they can't hit the ball that far, so they're automatically out as well. So then he said that really only leaves you down to a few. So 35 isn't a few. But, you know, what he's trying to say is a lot of guys here, you know, just just they can't play the course in a way. Also, which makes sense, these majors, they're they're tough uh, off the tee as well because they're so long. And Brooks kept is such a big, strong guy. He can hit it that distance, but some guys, very good golfers. Just can't hit it the distance. They're not; good. they're very good, but they're not going to win these um, masters because they're um, not masters, but majors. Because, well, they can't hit the ball that far, and it, it makes sense. You know why Kepka is in it because he can hit the ball really far. It makes sense why Rory McIlroy uh, almost went for the Grand Slam before thirty. He can hit the ball really far. Seems to get uh, worse as the closer he gets to the hole, but. Well, that's a discussion for another day. And all these guys, most of these guys that win multiple uh, majors, you see, they're strong guys. Get can hit the ball very far. And yesterday, I mean that this event yesterday, there there weren't a lot of uh you know com- there wasn't a lot of competitive golf. You know, only a few guys finished under par. One, two, three, four, five, six guys finished under par, and Sung Kang finished at par, so that's, you know, eight guys at par or over, and seven guys under par, which, you know, that, you know, many guys just did not golf very well, some guys like um, Varner just lost it on the last day, there were tough conditions, because that fairway is so tight, and it makes sense, It's it's, it's a major, it's gonna be hard, but the fairway's so tight, if you hit it, if you don't hit the fairway... You're, that's at least the bogey. It's not a double bogey. It was so hard. Once you were off the fairway, and if you didn't hit into the fairway, it was very hard to even just get par. It was just asking for a bogey or even a double bogey. And that, that one, you know, you don't hit the fairway one time, that can ruin your day like that. And Brooks Kepka also said in the majors talked about how, you know, he can focus more. He said in, you know, normal PGA events, sometimes, you know, he's thinking ahead and thinking ahead to the next hole and loses a little bit of his focus. But in the majors, he's just living in the moment, and he's just worried about that hole, that shot. And that's a big thing. I think that, that does make a lot of sense. These pro golfers go out and golf, you know, every every week. They're golfing every week for two, if not four days, So at least two days every week is more than a lot of people. I know a few people that go golfing a lot, um, but especially, you know, they're practicing a lot too, but they're doing this all, pretty much all year round, constantly golfing. Imagine golfing like half of your, your, you know, half of the year basically in a way for them, it's almost half the year, so it's hard for them to keep focus in, like, smaller events uh, for Brooks Kepka. You know, obviously, if it's a small, small event, he's probably not going to be playing, but a small event for him that he'd be playing, and it's hard for him to keep focus, but these majors, the guys are going to crack down, and it makes sense for a lot of guys, and Kepka, I'm sure he's in the same boat as many people. They kind of lose focus, some of these, you know, bigger names. But someone else I want to give uh, credit to because Kepka it was amazing that first day shot a 63 in the first day 65 in the second day 70 on the third day 74 on the fourth day he seemed to get a little worse and a little worse but he was 12 under going into that last day and seemed like a lock to win it right No he was up by a seven he was up by seven strokes. And almost blew it down the stretch. And luckily, there weren't a lot of holes left for Kepka. But he was starting to crumble. And DJ was starting to, you know, catch fire a little. Who shot a 69 on the first day, 67 on the second day, 69, and then a 69. He was just steady, consistent. Dustin Johnson, I believe, is the best player in golf. And, you know, not all time, obviously. But right now, Dustin Johnson, I'd say, is the best player in golf. Just because I've always believed this. But he always competes. He always competes. Week in and week out, he's always there. If he's not winning, he's always top 5, top 10. This guy never misses the cut, very rarely misses the cut, very rarely isn't even in the top 10. If you were to bet every week on someone being in the top 10, you always bet Dustin Johnson because he's always there. He's always competing, always has that focus. And you know, down the stretch, he was very good until that last hole or two. He started to crumble as well. Um, but, no, Kepka, I, I was, you know, very proud of him, I guess, and, and to say he, he he was very good. He was very good, but that last day he shot a plus uh, four over par and really struggled down the stretch, started to crumble, it seemed like the pressure started to get to him. He also said that in his interview. Some of the guys like 35 or less, half of them, the pressure gets to him. That's what he said. I forgot. And, excuse me, Dustin Johnson – he shot – he was one of the best golfers on that last day. He only shot one under par on that last day, but he was still one of the best golfers. because no one could really find their stride that tournament. And then Jordan Spieth finishing tied for third with Patrick Cantley and Matt Wallace. But it was nice for him to have a good day because he's such a good golfer, but he struggled this year. He really has. Um, Jordan Spieth has. Just, you know, he's gone through a, a tough year. So it was nice to see him go out and have a, a good week. Uh, along with Cantley and Wallace there, and then <sighs> Matt Kuchar looked like maybe he could have a run for it. You know, had a had a rough few holes there, <clears throat> and then someone else I want to talk about is the man, the myth, the legend, Harold Varner the Third, who went down 34 spots on the last day. He was sh- go- gulping Brooks Koepka, which meant he was in second place going into the last day and shot 11 over par on the last day. How do you do that? He shot an 81 on the last day. Sorry. He was, that was, that was ridiculous. He shoots a 71 on the first day, 67 on the second and third day, and I didn't think Varner was going to win. I thought Kepka had it all the way. And if I had, you know, I wasn't really sure, you know, but it looked like Varner, you know, maybe he could do something. Maybe, just maybe, he could do something. He's five under. He's tied with DJ, you know, seven strokes behind um, um, Brooks Kepka. Obviously, if I had to choose Varner or DJ to win a uh, major, who do you think I'm going to pick? DJ, of course. But Varner, what an epic collapse. You had a chance because Kepka collapsed and DJ, you know, was good down the stretch, but then he kind of, you know, blew it as well. But Varner was horrible. He was. Uh, he was disgustingly bad um, <laughs> that last day. That was absolutely crazy. But when it when it really came down to it, no one really shot that well at all on the first day. Um, Tommy Fleetwood wasn't bad on the first day. Uh, who else was it that, I, that I'm looking for here? Uh, it was some, Adam Scott wasn't bad either that first day, uh, but. Kepka was just dominant from the start and another group Danny Lee shot a 64 on the first day ended up just 74 71 77 the last they finished six over par but no one really did thrilling this week Kepka had a very good week but then kind of you know not taking that from Kepka but that Was a tough week for a lot of golfers. It was tough to keep the ball in the fairway. It was tough to hit the ball that distance. Tiger even got cut. And it's gonna happen. But this this I, I felt like this PGA championship just came up quick. Like I was like, Oh, it's the PGA championship. This this is a this is a major. I just didn't really realize it. it just came kind of came like that. I you know, wow, I feel like the masters was just yesterday. When Tiger won, oh, that was awesome. But one of the best sports moments in recent history. But, yeah, anyway, that's kind of the rundown about a 10-minute segment on the PGA Championship. But, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed. Um, go send in a voice message, anything you want to talk about, Anchor Mobile app. Type in After the Buzzer Sports Talk. Send in that voice message. Also, go follow my Instagram, After the Buzzer Sports Talk. No spaces, all lowercase. Again, that's After the Buzzer Sports Talk. No lowercase, all spaces. So, yeah, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed today's listen. Again, very sorry for no episodes three days straight. But don't worry, I'm back. It's not like I chose not to do those episodes. Um, it's just, I had no time to do them. So hopefully that doesn't happen again. So I just got really busy, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, hope to see you next time.